Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. It's a superbike special from Phillip Island. And throughout the course of this year, I'll be joined by Gordon Ritchie. And uh, Gordon, of course, has worked for a variety of publications over the last 20 years in the world SBK Paddock, including the likes of MCN, Australian MCN, US titles. And this year, Gordon, you'll be working with Bike Sport News, Moto Matters, and a host of other sites. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been quite a few over the years. Um, some of them I've worked for all through that whole period. It's quite funny doing the same thing for 21 years for the same company in nearly the same format. It's actually quite weird how many people I've worked for over the years um, on a regular basis at the, at the races. But yeah, I'm also quite shocked that I've been here 21 years. A new challenge for this year as well, Gordo. You're going to join us for a little bit of a roundup at each of the rounds of the World SBK Championship. Yeah, and if anybody could understand it, other than uh, maybe a few thousand people in Clydeside, I'll be amazed, but I'll try my best. I'll try and speak English. Well, an Irishman and a Scotsman walked into a coffee shop, got themselves a coffee and talked about superbikes. Exactly, so. it's uh, the start of the worst joke in the world. Uh, well, at least it's been the start of a good season for oh, superbikes. Oh, fantastic. I mean, I don't think anybody at all, from inside Ducati outwards, so three wins for Batista and not just the one the way he won was just unbelievable and the two long races and it seemed fairly obvious that he, he, he was going to win that middle race the short race as well and when he needed to he found the pace to go away from Ray and ended up with a hat trick in the first ever weekend remember that we've got three race format and of course as you said we've had lots of changes in the world SBK schedule for this season as you said that sprint race a 10 lap super pole race and that produced plenty of exciting races all the way through this week though there was only one thing that everyone was talking about and that was the speed of the new Ducati and the speed of Alvaro Bautista it really seemed that he was able to come here to Phillip Island find the right settings and immediately find himself pretty much at home at the front They came to the test on Monday before race week with a new setting for him and it just clicked right away he said that was the big difference for him I also spoke to a Ducati engineer yesterday who said the, the only thing, that the, the real thing everybody's talking about, the power of the engine and so on, but the biggest thing for them was getting that front end to work. He said all that performance that he put in on the weekend was mostly down to the front end improvements that they found on Monday. And as soon as they gave those improvements to Alvaro, his confidence went through the roof. He, he found exactly pointing about where he wanted to put it. So that was the missing part. Obviously the big power, big revs, really good coming out of the corner with a V4 engine. But what was missing in the previous test was a confidence in the front end, repeatable front end, and he got that on Monday and there had all that preparation to do ready for the three races on Saturday and Sunday and we see the result of that. Yeah, we're sitting down in the middle of cows Monday morning in a coffee shop. And there's been a good buzz all around town, a good buzz this morning, just people talking around about the races we've seen. And Bautista coming in, it definitely shakes up the aftercourt. Absolutely. And when the good GP riders come to World Superbike, they always move the game on or sideways, but whatever else, they shake it up. They make everybody go back and think about it. Several, I mean, people in the past, Max Biaggi turned up and won his first race. Yeah, it has happened in the past. John Kosinski, I believe, won his first race. So, but you have to be at that level. Batista, I think, was probably an underrated MotoGP rider who certainly loves Phillip Island. So, in, in a way, you couldn't have designed a better opening weekend for Batista. But that's only the beginning of it. What he did was so far in excess of what people expected from him. And, and the Ducati, which hasn't looked 
quite that great in one test and it's been good but it's been good and then not so good and then good and not so good and here every single session everything he did was just near perfection yeah, and the one thing about that Ducati is that as we saw the whole way through the winter as you said it wasn't it was, we didn't see too many flashes from it but here in Philip Island we only saw those flashes from one rider it was only from Bautista yes and that's the, the interesting thing obviously Chaz is not happy with his setup yet uh, he says his physical condition is very good. I think he, looked, he, he did look himself the first couple of days, but yesterday he obviously got a better result and he, was, he just looked more like himself on the bike and, uh, and afterwards. Uh, so it's, but I think it's just track time for Chaz. He needs more track time. He's got all the tools available to him that, that Batista's got. He's got more experience in this paddock. Uh, he just, but it's been a big change for Chaz. He's gone from something that he was used to. It's actually more of a change for Chaz to get used to this bike inside the paddock he's been in for years than it was for Batista to come from a V4 uh, and, and MotoGP level performance to this paddock. Um, so that's another interesting why did it happen the way it did? Well maybe it was actually more a Batista bike from the beginning than it was a Chaz bike even though we're operating in Superbike. And obviously for Chaz as well whole new crew around him he doesn't have the same crew chief He's brought forward his suspension engineer to be his crew chief, so suddenly he's got a new crew chief, new suspension engineer, new electronics engineer, and just a lot of new faces inside that box. Yeah, it's a, it's a very uh, changed um, everything in Ducati from, I mean, even press officers, you name it. There's, there's, it's a different thing, there's lots of new faces, um, and they're all meshing together to a point. They're, they just need more time. But as you say, most of the, the actual big changes have happened in the existing, what was an existing setup. So that can't help but affect the riders' confidence. And let's not forget how much track time Charles lost in the winter through injury. Um, that's, a, that's a really big deal when there's a limit on testing now. They're not just allowed to go and test. I remember coming here in the January for a test, a big all-out test, and all the big teams would come from Europe, be here for a few days, go back to Europe, and then come back for the races. We can't do that anymore, we're not allowed to do that. We do a few tests in Europe and there's a limit on the number of days you can test. And Chaz has missed half of them almost. Yeah, once you're behind the eight ball coming to Phillip Island and you're spending the time trying to test the bike rather than find a Phillip Island setting, it really does make it a much bigger challenge. And you've been here, Gordo, for 20 years and you've seen Anthony Gobert's won here four or five times. You've seen Eugene Laverty win on a Suzuki. There's been... Always surprising results here at Phillip Island. This year was a surprising result to see just how dominant Bautista was. But will it translate to Bury Ram in Europe? Um, I think if he can do what he did here, even with all the caveats of it being his favourite track and, and so on, I can't see there's any way in which this bike isn't going to be good everywhere. And Bautista's going to be good everywhere. When a GP rider comes here, there's a certain level of professionalism and having to be faster every session to make sure you're faster on Sunday. And I think the combination of all those things, and, the, and, and let's not forget the human element, he's just given Ducati a huge boost after a couple of pretty hard years where they've won races, but they haven't really, really challenged for the championship. So everything's pointing in the direction of... of more success for that bike quite how much if he does this in Thailand which is possible because it's another track it should everybody thinks should be good for the Ducati then that's one thing but if he goes to Aragon and Assen and there's similar levels of performance then I 
amazing. Will he do it? Can it be done? I think he's going to find some more difficult tracks, and I think whatever else has happened on the weekend, that has re-motivated every other team in the paddock to think, wow, maybe we, we thought we were working hard now, maybe we're going to have to work hard, and the most important thing is not to work hard, it's to work better. It's much, it's much better to be better than it is to work harder. Just why, why are we not working? Let's, let's find a way of doing that, rather than just putting in millions of hours going nowhere. So all those people are already working hard and now thinking, mm, we need to work better. Spoken like a true freelance there, Gordo. Work smarter, not harder. And uh, for all those teams, the one thing that's going to happen is, obviously, it's a brand new Ducati. But we also had three other newly homologated bikes for this year. But the Ducati is a brand new bike, much like the BMW is a brand new bike. But Kawasaki has made some changes, but it's not a drastic change for their bike. It's not. They're just trying to get back some of the ground that they lost last year. Um, Having a really powerful bike two years ago, last year they had a bike which was lost maybe 1,100 or so revs. Um, And it's much more of an ordinary bike than a Ducati. So what they've done is, uh, with new rules as well, for what you can put inside, any new homologation now needs to use standard conrods, so they've done things like that. They realised they needed to make it ref harder, so they've gone for finger follower uh, camshaft, like the BMW had already. All those things added together, they reckon they should have about 500 revs more than last year, which in an ordinary season would have helped Jonathan and Leon has them a lot. But when you see how much more the Ducati revs, the thing that they had the biggest improvement in is the thing that actually made the least difference this weekend. So their bike is the same and different. There's very relatively few changes, but when you're at that level, when you've got the level of complexity of the bike now and how how they refine it to a level and keep to keep it there, now 500 revs extra is a big deal for a rider. To that's a, that's a change in setup in every way because you've got 500 extra revs. That's the level that World Superbike's working on now. Yeah, and when you look at uh, Kawasaki over the last four years with Jonathan, over the last seven years with Tom there as well, they're used to being at the front. They're used to winning races. Suddenly, they come here to Phillip Island, a place where they've had a lot of success as well. If you think back, even Tom's had good races here at probably his least favourite track in the calendar. And suddenly... They're up against it with this big fight against Ducati. That's tough. We look at how tough it is for a rider to deal with, but it's tough for a team to deal with that as well. Yes, and I think there were. To me, it seemed to be there was a few slightly concerned uh, people inside the, the green camp over the tests and then the week, race weekend itself. But I think they also know that their day will come on the tracks where. I mean, Jonathan yesterday and after the race, he said that. In some of the slower corners, he was definitely better than, than Batista was and the Ducati would allow him to be. So when we get to tracks that are a bit more like that, maybe Jonathan will be able to make an advantage of that. We also saw that Leon, obviously the, the Kawasaki works, works well because Leon Haslam's just arrived from BSB with no electronics. They've done enough work in the winter to let him finish on two of the three podiums. So yes, the, the, the team. I think the team knew this was going to be a tough one. I don't think anybody, even Kawasaki, even looking at all the data, thought they were going to lose by what could have been 16 seconds in one race and 17 or 18 or 19 seconds in the second race until Batista slowed up to celebrate going over the line. So that's a that's a significant margin. Nobody saw that coming, but I think Kawasaki knew it wasn't going to be their weekend long before 
It is. It's. Yeah, we knew coming after the test that Bautista was going to be the favourite, but no one knew if he'd be able to maintain that pace all the way through race. Everyone else seemed to have a normal Phillip Island race where they were conserving their tyres, but Bautista, he's a lot like you know the first time you go golfing, you've never missed a putt, you've never hit a bad shot, you play it with confidence. Batista had that confidence because he's never been bitten by a Pirelli tyre around here. He's never seen that huge drop-off in performance that can happen at this very unique circuit for World SBK. And it really looked like he was free from any of those concerns, and that made the big difference for him. Well, what he said to us yesterday and Saturday was that he's always been the kind of rider who has got an easy style for his tyres. He said whatever tyre he was on in MotoGP, it was the same. He would always be... more gentle on the tyres because of his riding still and because of wanting to make sure his tyres would make to the end of the race. So that's what they concentrated on. Once they realised that his front end was better, then they started thinking, OK, let's get to how are we going to make these last 22 laps? Everybody else, and even someone as uh, Jonathan's record here, was very nervous and probably rode the two longer races at a second a lap less than they could do, even with a degree of comfort. What Everybody else did was conserve their tyres because they were concerned about the tyres last in the race. And we saw Jonathan losing places last year. Batista didn't. And we, I think, again, everybody was sitting waiting for half the way through the race when they're thinking he's gone too fast and his tyres are going to drop. And he didn't. He just kept maintaining and then, and then ex- expanding his lead again and maintaining expanding all the way to the end. They only had tyre drop off on the long race on Sunday and the last two laps, he said. Well, I don't think anybody else expected that. It's not just about the bike, but the particular circumstances at this track and the history of tyres here, I think everybody expected them to get... Maybe one race race one was a bit lucky, or he just didn't know, like you say, he didn't know he couldn't. But I think a lot of people thought they were going to get closer in race two, and he wasn't going to be able to maintain. They did the work required to get the, the, the guaranteed race distance out of the... the the long races and I don't think anybody else thought they would be able to do that and therefore they told the riders and the riders told themselves okay calm down and that's why none of them could do anything about Batista they just didn't want to take the risk and then something was going wrong and they end up fifth as Jonathan said second second and second is a lot better than trying too hard and having a problem yeah because I said on the commentary that we're conditioned to believe certain things in more or less BK one of those is that you have to manage that tyre here at Phillip Island. You need to stay in the one minute 31s. Bautista's passed that out of the park. But we did see in the Super Bowl race that at least he had to fight a lot harder in that shorter race. So at least we could see that the ultimate performance from a lot of bikes was quite similar to the Ducati here. Yes, I believe so. Um, except on that final corner and down the straight where it clearly was just faster and faster every lap than everybody else's. Um, I think the, the short race was good because it let everybody see the relative capabilities of the Kawasaki, where it was fast and where the Ducati was fast, and that was good because we didn't really get to see that in the other two races. Um, I, I, I do think that the, the thing to remember about the longer races and talking about the lap times as we were, the race time for Batista, even when you take in his seconds that he celebrated over the line, wasn't actually that fa- much faster than race one last year. Race two was a flag to flag, if I remember correctly last year. So race one is the only thing to look at last year. And he was only a 1.4, I think, faster than Melandri. So add another couple of seconds, take a couple of seconds off for uh, him slowing up over the line. And it's, it's not that he was going so much faster than the, the classes I was seeing in there. 
he just re replicated and went a little bit faster than the older guy, right? Everybody else wasn't prepared to try and see if they could do that. So there's also a slightly, it's not artificial, but there's, a slight, there's another caveat to put in there, and that everybody else thought, well, I can't, I can't do enough for 22 laps, and I'm not going to try. Um, but the, the small race, the short race was great, I thought it was great entertaining. I think the, the fans loved it. Um, the stuff around it is quite complicated. Trying to explain it to someone the first time is very complicated. It's a race and qualifying. But when the riders got on track, and that didn't matter, everybody did a real buzz. A great way to start the, the, the real race card on Sunday. is very exciting. Yeah, I thought, was, I thought it was a great addition. I thought, at the end of the day, I go to these races to see superbikes. The, the 300 race is always a very entertaining race. It's a great race to watch. But a lot like in a Moto3 and a Moto2 race, you go to see the best riders in the world in the big class. And to get an extra race, 10 laps, dash for the cash, you know, there's 12 points on offer. And over the course of a season, those 12 points all add up to an awful lot. And it really is a case of just being able to give that something extra on the Sunday morning. We saw riders absolutely pressing on as hard as they could. We saw, even on the final lap, Taddy Mercado having that crash with Torres and Razgadioglu because even in the lower reaches, they're thinking, something could happen in front of me. I want to make sure I'm able to get into those top nine positions to have a good grid slot for race two. Yeah. Um, I think the uh, I think that, that a lot of people saw that small race as their opportunity to do something when they realised they couldn't do over race distance and we saw a lot more uh, battles going into the last lap on that race than we did in the other things. Um, we saw a bit of madness when with people trying a bit too hard and thinking, well, I forgot to do it now. Leon says he was a bit cautious and he thinks that cost him a little bit. Um, it threw another dynamic into the whole weekend where it was in your tyre strategy, everything. Some people might have just said, OK, we'll just go hard for 10 laps on what we're using the big race. Some people might have played around a lot with their setup to try and say, well, we've got a, a shorter race, so we'll do a different setup and, and try even more. Um, and I think it was. I think it's by the end of the year, everybody will have it worked out what to do, what's better for them. But it was just great fun. At the end of the day, it was great fun. And what more do you want? Yeah, that's the thing. I think after that race, coming back up from the commentary box over into the paddock, walking back up through pit lane, there was just a sense that this actually could be something that throughout the course of the year really gives us some great race. And we see it in British Championship with the Super Sport Sprint race on the Saturday that it really does give that added dynamic and something completely different. And you want to see it where everyone has to go completely flat out all the way through a race. And we saw some great racing. But when you look at uh, one of the great battles we saw all the way through this weekend was the intra-Yamaha rivalry. Yes. I knew you were going to say that. I just knew you were going to say that, Oh, Steve. Gordo, even here, it, your we, first we time on the show, we're already like because that. Because it was another one of those big, ooh, question marks, you know, and... The factory team weren't that happy that another guy, set of guys are going to come along. At the beginning, we weren't quite sure if they were going to get the same. To me, it looks like all oh, they've got different from each other are personal preferences and how they want set things set up and this fork over that fork or whatever. But I think in terms of access to the top stuff, those teams are pretty level. And I mean, how cool must it have been for GRT to come up in the first World Superbike race and have Melandri on the podium? I mean, that's for a private, for a, a first-time team, that's the equivalent of doing what Batista did in a first-time Superbike race. They must have been absolutely peaking, those guys. And Yamaha's decision to do that immediately vindicated. Four strong Yamahas, 
if we had four strong everythings of every manufacturer, we'd have a bigger grid, we would have more closer racing. Maybe we've reached the point whereby you just can't have a private team now and, and compete anymore. Maybe you, and the rules certainly allow for having the same material as the, the, the factory team. I personally think if we're going to grow this championship without a big injection of cash from outside, we're going to have to rely on this model of a true factory team and then something very, very close that can challenge when they can't. Yeah, and that was one of the big things last year. We always had chats in the media centre about it, but outside of the paddock, the big talking point was always the rev limits and changing revs for different different bikes through the course of the season. But for me and you, the biggest talking point was always if Kawasaki bring out a new part, it had to be made available to all Kawasaki's. The same for Yamaha, same for Ducati. We've seen it with the Barney Ducati over the last few years that Javi Fares was able to fight for podiums, and now we're seeing it with... All four Yamaha riders here, Van der Mark, Lowe's, Melandri, they've only got a point between the three of them in the championship after, effectively, three races. Sandro Cortese did really well, and through the test, through the race weekend, the pace of all four bikes seemed pretty much nailed on. So you were able to see GRT and the Crescent-run squad really pretty much identical all the way through, really positive for the championship to show that if a manufacturer does that, that you can have lots of competitive bikes out there. I think the other thing is that always in any form of motorsport you've got that technical question. It is an equipment sport as well as a human sport. So if this guy's got a better package than that guy, even if they're equal riders, over a season the guy with a better bike will win. If we get all the bikes much closer to the best one, inside manufacturers and between the manufacturers, we will then truly be able to see who the better middling and not so good riders are. Someone like Cortese now may have had to have a year or two years on a bike which wasn't nearly as good as the factory one and therefore maybe seeing people going, mm, maybe not so good. But for a guy who's never ridden big bikes before, on a top level bike like his teammate and nearly what the patter guys have got across the way, he showed very strongly straight away. I think when you get everybody supplies bikes at more or less the same level, then it actually becomes a riders championship again. It becomes a who is the best rider in World Supermarket um, because there isn't that much difference anymore. It's like the tyre thing. When the tyres ta- are all different, you could go to one track and Dunlop would dominate. Japan, for example, you go to Sugo and some really top Michelin guys would sometimes be nowhere because Dunlop tested it, etc. Well, in terms of machinery, it's exactly the same thing now. If we get everybody on the same performance level, then the rider becomes much more important. And you can hear in the background here, I'm sure, just how busy it is down here in Cowes. And when we looked around all the way through this week, Gordon, we saw people in Kawasaki t-shirts. We saw the usual smattering of Tyco BMWs. We saw just fans coming from all over the world. But we also saw a lot of fans now here for the new BMW project as well. And uh, that certainly seems like it's hit the ground running. When you look at Tom Sykes this week, he's talked all the way through the winter about having the engine characteristic that he wanted down on power here it's first first uh, first stage of development for that engine they're expecting by the time they get to Aragon or Aston to be able to bring an engine upgrade but the front end of that bike the chassis looks really sorted and Sykes seems really confident as well like you've known Tom since he came to this paddock and he looks back to himself from years ago where he's buzzing around the paddock jumping around the place making jokes and he seems like he's just found that confidence again I think the BMW has got everything going for it already, except the top-end engine performance. 
that's the thing that always takes the longest time, the longest lead time to get done. It's the most difficult thing to get done. And even when you've done all the work and found your horsepower, you then have to go through a long period of getting it sorted. So I think Tom, one thing Tom won't have in the next wee while is the top end of his performance. In every other regard, that bike looks finished. And I spoke to the project leader of the, of the, um, the director of the whole motorsport division for motorcycle yesterday about it, and he reckons they're 80, 85% finished. So to, for Tom to have put in the, the pace he did, he didn't have great, you know, great races for one reason or another, usually just because he got overtaken on the straight so often, um, and therefore every time he got overtaken he couldn't go back again. But the chassis is he's, he's blown about it uh, already. But it's very low-key, strangely, for such a famous company. They're just going about the job. They're, they're, they're not spending the millions and millions and millions that they did the last time they were here on uh, being a huge like global brand team. It was well-budgeted, but in the right things. I think that is a much better start. Even BMW think that they've started better than they imagined. But they really do need engine. It was exacerbated at Phillip Island. You would see the Ducati pulling away from everybody else. The Kawasaki's and, and Yamaha's pulling away from, from the BMW. We need to get that sorted for Tom to show himself. But he's, he's, a, he's, he's still Tom, but this is a new start for him. He needed it. Things in his personal life not going well the last couple of years that he's already spoken about. He needed a fresh start. He needed a fresh engineering start. And that bike is a four cylinder, it revs fast, it brakes hard, it's got a good chassis. That is what Tom wants. The more radical engine you can give Tom, the happier it is. And the overall dimensions and the shape of that engine should actually help him when you get that top power. The, the, the more difficult it is in the engine for other riders, the more Tom seems to like it. He's a very cookie riding style Tom. Um, but that's what he wants out of bike, um, and that BMW should be able to deliver it. But right now, another another feel good factor. Everybody's buzzing about that BMW being in there. You look at the Ducati, you look at the new Kawasaki, which is obviously going to be good. You look at that BMW. There's a very, I think, there's a very very big feel good factor again. Um, running up to this race and during this race weekend. Yeah, for me, coming here Monday, Tuesday for the test, we were able to actually leave that test with no one the wiser as to exactly how things would play out. We didn't know if Bautista would dominate all three races. We knew he was going to be the favourite. We knew he was going to be fast. We didn't know if he'd be as dominant as he was. We didn't know if the BMW would be able to translate its form into the race. And it did. Second row of the grid for Tom in the Super Polo session. And you know, decent performance in race one where he's fighting with Top Rack, Rasgeti Ogler and a few other people. So it showed the potential of that bike. And for me, the job BMW did, probably the most impressive job of anyone because they've come in with a complete clean sheet of paper. At least Ducati can use the reference points of a MotoGP bike and the Ducati V4 in that paddock, but BMW came in absolutely brand new and did a really good job. And you could see that with Marcus Reiterberger as well, coming back to the World SBK Championship. And he looked competitive through this week as well, ran inside the top 10 at times. Yes, I mean, his improvement since he first got on the new bike, and remember, he's been a BMW guy almost forever. Um, when he jumped on the bike at first, he was quite a lot slower than Tom. And uh, Portimao test, he was really, he was he seemed slightly concerned by it all. Whatever they've done, they've got him to be confident in the bike. Obviously, he's obviously found himself a bit more. And he's much closer than I thought he might be, given how his early tests went. 
So it's not just Tom that's going to work forward that bike. It should be it should be once it's a finished superbike project, and it isn't quite that yet. When it is, it should be one of those bikes that maybe a customer team would be able to to, to do well on as well. I think any bike that reaches a level now, because of the way the rules are, the way that the, the suspension's cost capped and accessible, everybody, the engine parts, you name it, are, you can pretty much build a factory bike, more or less now, just by paying less money than you ever did before, maybe. Yeah, and that's one of the big benefits that we have seen from the reg changes. One of the big benefits that we're also seeing in the championship is HRC's back as well. And we saw what BMW were saying there about Ryderberger making a big step forward from his first test that we saw him in January. HRC is a very different beast. They've tested away in, behind closed doors in Thailand. They came here and no one knew what to expect. But we saw an awful lot of white shirts. We saw vice presidents of HRC here this weekend. We saw just how big of an effort they are actually going to put in. And the bike is very radically different. It is their Suzuka 8 Hours bike designed around Bridgestone tyres they've brought here. So we didn't know what to expect at all from that team, from that bike, from their riders. But they come away here... A lot of positives as well. Again, Camier looked impressive here. Looked impressive here last year and in Bury Ram. But uh, they definitely have a lot of reasons to feel positive coming from this round. Well, we I mean, we really didn't know what we were going to get from that Honda when we got here. People were talking about, well, it's not really a Honda bike. It's not an HRC bike. It's just that. We weren't sure. No one was sure. But when we got here and saw all those shots, when we saw the launch of it um, a few days before the, the, the race started, we realised exactly what was here, and this is a proper Honda project, Honda Motor Company project, who then basically direct HRC to take over the technical side of it. When that happens, that's a factory team. Now, Moriwaki and Altea looking after logistics side, uh, testing side, development side, trucks and all the things it takes to go racing in Europe, and are already experienced people. Moriwaki is a legendary name. Altea were world champions in 2012, I think, with uh, Checker. These people know their jobs already, so all those aspects of that effort from Honda, even the, the things that have been done outside of Honda, are top level already. The, the performance isn't quite, but when Camier got to less than half a second away from the very fastest guys, um, and was it, I can't remember if it was testing or on Friday, but that was, no one expected it to be quite that good that soon. There's a million changes to be made, as you, you said, about the, the, the way the bike's been completely designed for another thing and different tyres so that's what they've got to overcome but any when Honda comes racing sooner or later it all works and I think they're quite um, quietly confident by the end of the year things will be a lot better but honestly I, I think they, they've already shown at times to be much better than we thought it would be given that the, the, you have to face up to it the, the Honda Superbike thing whether it's been and road racing and other championships there's not many championships where the Honda's truly competing for the championship itself so I think part of the reason the Honda came back here is to sort the the Honda for the 8 hour and for here and that will work if they could do it for the 8 hour in here they could do it for all the other classes and that's that's maybe explains why Honda decided to come back to a championship they left in really really high dudgeon uh, in the early 2000s they really left in a half. Um, and it's taken a long time to come back but that's a, that's a real Honda project and here's the strange thing about World Super General this year related to the Honda it's taken us until quite a long way into this podcast before we even mentioned the fact that there's an HRC team in the championship I mean 
that's the, wherever you're looking, there's something pretty, you know, pretty cool going on. Whether it's Yamaha having expanded the two factory, two factory bike teams, uh, you know, all the stuff we talked about, Ducati, Kawasaki's got a new bike, UBMW. It's all. I mean, even some of the privateer teams, the, the, the Pedercini Kawasaki team has just transformed itself into. A, it's just a bigger effort now. It just looks better. It's a, and I've got a really good rider as one of our superbike race on, on the bike. We'll see what their true level is this year. There's not that many bikes in the this year compared to previous years, but the quality is definitely pretty much higher everywhere you can see. Yeah, for me, when I look down this grid and I see there's 18 full-time riders and the vast majority of them wouldn't look out of place on a MotoGP grid. The vast majority of them would be top-line riders no matter where they are, most of them in pretty much any year as well. It's, for me, it's the, the deepest grid I've ever seen in World SBK. I'm sure that like there's been... When we look back to the golden age of superbikes, when there was you know six million people showing up at Brands yeah. Hatch for a race, and everyone and their dog was there on the day, there was a different buzz then. But I'm not sure if there was a club of riders that were that much better than what we have now. There's so many world champions, there's so many Grand Prix winners here, there's so many riders that have been able to achieve an awful lot that it really is a big positive. And as you said, Gordo, we're half an hour into this by the time we mentioned HRC and any other given year that would have been the big story coming in like I know for me whenever I moved from doing a lot of journalism into commentary I always thought commentary's great all the stories you hear you get the chance to talk about them whereas in print because you've got word count you can't get to half of what you want to talk about this year got through a full race weekend there's still stuff that you want to talk about and that's what's really positive for the championship Absolutely. I mean, uh, when I was working late last night, writing up all the, the story of the weekend and trying to analyse it a little bit, I, I, I really couldn't fit it all in. There are things I wanted to introduce to uh, little caveats here and there and little explanations here and there that I just couldn't do because there's so many different elements at work. And that hasn't happened here for a while. We've had a very red versus green era in this championship, and now even though that's probably still going to be the main fight for the championship. The stuff going on behind that is happening at a higher level, it's happening more broadly, and the talent in the, in the, the paddock, yes, we've had rider, rider, the amount of rider talent in this paddock is slightly low. It always has been. You'll get a load of guys that are, could potentially be one of the champions, and then it changes, but they move on to MotoGP, or they retire, or whatever. But, yeah, well, I think the midfield is absolutely rock solid this year. Absolutely rock solid, um, and the the youngest team, the, the the furthest back team, the one that seems to be struggling the most at the minute, is actually the last Honda, uh, the, the, the the separate Honda from uh, Del Bianco and the Altair side of things. But he's a he's a completely new superbike. Everything's new. That project, that bike came. That was their old Japan bike. It's di- totally different from HRC bikes. But even then, the, when you look at the potential of that. It's actually very high. So, yes, I totally agree with you. I think that, the, the, that especially that middle talent, is is very, very strong. There's very little difference between an awful lot of the riders in the midfield. That should be great for the spectacle. should be great for how close the championship is. Um, anybody makes a mistake this year might move up and down three or four places in one weekend. Um, I think there will still be the elite riders, as there is in every class. It doesn't matter whether it's a local race or a, a MotoGP there's always elite riders, there's always the aliens, whatever you want to call them. Um, and, but behind that, and not very far behind that, I think there's an awful lot of good riders. Cortese, 
but this is never ridden a big bike before and he was completely competitive with a super bike guys. That's fantastic. I mean and he's a World three world champion. World Super Sport champion. And for all those riders as well, Gordo, you mentioned it there that on your bad weekend you might lose some spots. Really important on your good weekend to be able to take advantage and that's what we saw with Bautista this week when the sun was shining he was making hay and that's really what all of those top riders are going to have to do if Ducati has an advantage at any track those riders have to win if Kawa has it Jonathan and Leon have to be able to win as many races as they can that weekend and the same if we go to a track that suits the Yamaha that's changed a lot for this year it seems on paper compared to previous years as well where suddenly you can make up a lot of points very quickly just because there's that level of competition at the front yeah and, and there's three races to score points in you, if, if you have a really good weekend then you can disappear. I mean, if we had the, the situation of last year with two races in a weekend, there would be a much reduced gap between the championship leader and, uh, and Batista and, and Jonathan Ray. Then there's extra points. That's more points you need to make up when you're good day. So that's just exacerbated that problem. I agree with what you're saying there, but I think the three races has just made that, that issue even more profound. If you've got a good track, you need your three good races. Ironically, even though there's more races, you need to make sure you perform better in more of them that it, because you know, you might go to the next track and be, relatively speaking, nowhere. Yeah, and that was the thing during the sprint race as well. You could see in that 10-lap Super Bowl race that Ray knew that there's the difference between three points. There's 12 points for the win, nine points for second. It's a big swing, and if you're right there with him, you could see how much he wanted to be able to take those points off Bautista because instead of leaving Phillip Island with a 13-point disadvantage. He could have left here you know, eight points behind, and it would have made a big difference for him. And as the season progresses, it's going to be interesting to see the, how that dynamic works for riders. Yeah, and they've got to really think about it. I think the other... We're talking about the bikes, the riders, but the other thing that everybody had to get their head around this weekend, teams, riders, everybody, was that short race, but not that long before the, the, the last race of the weekend. So you talk to some riders and say, well, I'm going to have to wait till I eat something. Uh, you know, I can't because I've got to go do a media commitment and so on. I won't even have time to have a small bowl of pasta before race two. Um, and other people were, were really concerned about it. Some people said, well, it doesn't matter, it's two races. Everybody's got to learn how to attack that Sunday to make sure they've got two good races and that the rhythm, the, the procedure is important for a rider. They, they all have little rituals almost to get ready for a race. And now, some of them, the most successful ones that will be do well in the short sprint race and then have to prepare for the second one, might find the rhythm of things and the preparation for a race disturbed. So it's another little dynamic that's been thrown into the championship this year as well. Yeah, I actually saw some photos from GB Images and from Vaclav Jr. as well, just where they were showing some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So the riders getting themselves prepared in their cabins and always interesting to see those rituals that riders go through. It could be something just by how they put their boots on. It could be giving their girlfriend a kiss goodbye. It can be anything like that. And it's always interesting just to see how those dynamics worked out. What's probably the most interesting thing is, I got my maths wrong there about how many points Jonathan could have left here if he had won the sprint race. It would have been seven points, not eight points. Gordo, the Scotsman, decided not to correct me on that because he didn't want to split the bill. He was thinking, like, Steve, I'll tell you what, he's actually, his maths is completely off today. We'll let Steve decide how we're going to split that bill. Smart man right from the outset here on the podcast, Gordo. And also, don't forget, the only thing I really couldn't do in school is uh, numbers. I don't do numbers, sorry. I, I really don't do numbers unless it's counting out, changing the shot. I, I, I don't do numbers. I have to look at the paper for the numbers. I do the words, I don't do the numbers. 
And when you look at um, the numbers from this weekend, Gordo, number one, Jonathan Ray, he's used to being at the front. You saw him and you were talking to him yesterday after the races. I barely got a chance to chat to to Jonathan after the races. Caught up with him briefly this morning, but yesterday after the races, what was his immediate reaction? Um, yes, yeah, absolutely correct about uh, Jonathan and his. Um, he lives on confidence. What people from outside maybe don't understand is that the main reason that Jonathan has been so successful is completely unbroken confidence. Confidence in his team, self-confidence in himself. How much will Batista arriving on a bike that Jonathan and the whole Kawasaki crew were, were concerned about when it was announced? Um, how much that's shaken their confidence might be more important than any other aspect. Maybe Jonathan, if he felt more confident, would have said, OK, if he can make 22 laps on the tyres, I'll go that in the, in the final race of the weekend. He didn't. He chose to have exactly the same approach instead of thinking, well, well maybe Batista's done it. So maybe that's the beginnings of uh, a kind of head game. Lots of sport is all about head games and getting a psychological advantage on something. Jonathan is a master at this. He's done it very well for a, for a long number of years. He's, he's absolutely ridden a wave of self-confidence and confidence in his team and his bike. And you can't help but be, when a new guy turns up on a new bike and dominates the way he did, that would have to be some amazing amount of confidence to not be at least slightly shaken by what's happened. Jonathan already, after the races yesterday, um, was talking about how that the new bike with the rev advantage it's got is already maybe somebody can't do it and about certain tracks just no way they could do it so it's a totally new dynamic for Jonathan who's been the guy that has kind of bossed things not just on track but off track for a long number of years we'll see how resilient that attitude is and how resilient the attitude from the Kawasaki guys is once we've got a few rounds under our belt people always say we don't really know how the championship's going to pan out until we get the first two flyaways done and then the first two Europeans in Aragon and Assen because they're fairly different circuits um, once we'll see the championship top five after those rounds and that's probably going to be the five guys that will be the, the five guys at the end in whichever order they end up in I was saying earlier on Gordo that we're conditioned to think certain things in superbikes we're conditioned to think that the Pirelli tyres you need to do certain laps here in Philippines to win the race we're conditioned to think Kawasaki's and Jonathan Ray Pararibe they're always going to find the solution they've been so adaptable over the years have been under pressure over the years as well. Jonathan, as you said, being able to live in that land of self-confidence and himself and Pariba, they haven't faced that internal struggle where they felt that uh, over the course of a 13-round season that they were going to have to battle with a teammate. Obviously, Leon Haslam comes in now. He's got a lot of confidence having won in the British Championship. But have we seen Jonathan under pressure in the past? Will we see Jonathan under pressure in the, pa- in the coming season from whether it's Haslam, Bautista, the Yamahas, it's a very different championship dynamic compared to what we've seen during his title winning seasons when he could focus in pretty much just on Chaz Davis. Yes, and the other thing is that uh, Jonathan usually tries to build up a lead to take into Europe and then put the other guys under pressure. Um, That didn't quite happen last year until later on, Um, but if this continues right through Europe, then that's a whole new mindset that he's got to get himself into to how do I come back again rather than having that cushion within the first few rounds and making the other guys work for it and then he psychologically only has to maintain and 
what that happens then is other guys try too hard and he actually has got the confidence to go even faster. So that's how he stretched out the lead in all these previous years. Probably that won't happen this year, even if it's only through one rider and one bike, even if that's the only the real challenge he gets. So that's got to change the way he thinks about it and and their approach to how they go about things. Maybe they've been able to ride a little bit back from their real potential and not had to stress things as much once they've had that lead. We saw last year the first few rounds were pretty frantic and Jonathan was trying pretty hard. He had some issues and so on. He had tyre issues in Phillip Island and he had some, uh, some technical things held him back in, in, in Chang. And he, people were thinking then, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe because of, again, because of the changing engine revs. Once they got their head around it, they just went off and ran away. Um, maybe that's not going to be as easy to do this year. Maybe there's always going to be that red bike in a race that Jonathan would have won, that guy won. So there's those kind of, I've got those points in the bag unless anything goes wrong. Maybe that's all out the window now. And that's a fascinating dynamic to, to see. We haven't really had a, a rider to rider to all the way to the end of the season fight here for a while. Even if Jonathan wins or any or, or Batista wins, it doesn't, you know, for the neutrals it really doesn't matter who wins. But I think everybody wants to see a fight to the last race in Qatar. And if it's only between those two guys, hey, that'll be enough compared to the last few years. Absolutely, that'll still be engaging all the way to the end. Because yeah, if you think back to 2014 was probably the last time we really had that Sykes against Gintoli. We've gone down to Qatar to decide a championship in the past with Jonathan Ray, but it was really foregone conclusions for those. Whereas Gintoli against Sykes really was a case of who's going to be able to take that. But that championship itself was actually quite a strange one because Sykes was incredible at the start of the season. And then from Sepang onwards, the Aprilia just came into its stride in the second half of the year. I'm really keen to see what happens here this year because... I really think we're going to have such a big variety in performance between the bikes at different tracks. We're going to have, you know, probably three red tracks, three green tracks, a couple of tracks where the Yamaha is good, and then you're going to have it where, like, who's able to stem the bleeding of the tracks where maybe they're the second best bike or the third best bike, and that's what's going to be really interesting. Who can maximise their points on their bad weekends? And also, the, the if something like, for example, the BMW comes good, for the middle of the season, where do we go before we go to Laguna Seca? We go to Donington, where Tom's got, had an unbelievable record until Jonathan beat him a couple of times. So there, there's there's lots of uh, potential different winners this year, as every year, but in the recent past, it's, it's turned out to be not that many. Last year was good, because we had two new ones, and, and Alex and Michael Vandermark. Um, but your bad weekends, I think anybody that has a bad weekend this year is going to pay for it really badly. Whether that's a midfield runner that's going to finish 10th in the championship and not 5th, or whether it's a guy who fancies himself as doing the full season, like a Batista or a Jonathan or whatever. Um, and, and the other thing is you've got you've got a lot of riders coming in this championship that are experienced as well as the Del Biancos with a little experience. You've got guys coming in here with a lot of experience. Batista from MotoGP. Leon, who was nearly a world champion in, in, on a Suzuki many years ago in this championship, he ran Max Biaggi almost all the way. Um, there's a lot of motivated people there. Tom, change manufacturers, huge motivation. The two Yamaha guys, but the other two guys underneath them. There's going to be no lack of competition this year. And those guys, if they're clever, understand exactly what you just mentioned there. Is that they, they say to myself, I can't have a bad, I can't have a bad weekend this year. I can't do it. Because I won't just get overtaken by one guy, I'll get overtaken by two or three. 
that again is another interesting dynamic this year that's it's, it's just going to be fascinating to watch it all way through. And uh, when when we were talking about uh, bringing you on to the podcast for the season, Gordon, one of, one of the reasons we said was you're one of the few journalists that goes to every race, every test. You get to see all the changing dynamics through the course of a season. And uh, obviously I see you at each of the tests. And we're able to basically all the way through the winter have a look to see who's gaining a bit of ground, who's losing a bit of ground, who's got an upper hand and who's having to fight a little bit harder and as the season progresses every year by the time we get to the midsummer tests when we'll be in Portimao or we'll be somewhere else you always end up seeing a big change from Phillip Island until then but this year it's it's a lot more difficult to see that you can see just where the confidence is going to build for BMW Yamaha is going to win races Ducati Kawasaki even if you look at just within each of those manufacturers. If you look at Ducati, you've got three different bikes, effectively. You've got the factory bikes for Chaz and for Alvaro Bautista. Then you go to, for want of a better word, a satellite bike at Barney that's got different suspension for Michael Rubin and Rinaldi. And then you go back to Eugene Laverty's Go 11, uh, Go 11 Kawasaki. I nearly yeah, said, no, I'll tell you what. too many years of saying the same thing. That's the, it happens, mate. Don't worry. We're still conditioned to say certain things. I was, I was doing my best to try and say Marco Melandri on a Yamaha this weekend. But it's uh, you go to Laverty on his bike, he's got a lot of ground to make up. But all of those teams, all of those riders, they've had a lot of success. And now it's going to be a case of trying to play catch-up, trying to get themselves into the into the midfield fight, into the podium fight, into the fight for wins. There's just so much to look forward to in this season. Yes, and I mean, it's one of those years this year. I was I don't always go to all the tests in the winter, but I did this, this one, and I think I was at all of them. And you didn't see that result on Sunday based on what we saw in the tests. Not in a million years. I mean, he just didn't. I mean, Batista was obviously fast. I didn't even see that result based on the Phillip Island on test. On the Phillip Island <laughs> test. So that, that's, that is exactly my point. The, 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 the testing actually clouded the, who's going to do what this year. Um, Kawasaki took a while to get used to the, the, the new engine. When you take that forward to this weekend, it wasn't much of a help to see what was going to happen. Um, and you're talking about Ducatis there. There is... I don't know whether it's a deliberate thing, whether it's a financial support thing, but normally what would happen is when you've got a new bike, you try and be as close to the factory team as you can. And there's three different suspension manufacturers involved in there. Now, you've got a new bike to develop, you're looking at the factory to help, and one of the, probably the most important thing in this era of uh, single-make tyre is suspension to get you to the end of the race, to get you to feel confidence, to get you to not crash. And they've gone in three different directions. It's, it's actually fascinating. I wonder if somebody upstairs in Ducati just said, no, no, let's just try it, let's do it, let's, let's try something different. Or it's just the way it's turned out or it's a financial necessity. Whatever reason, that from the outside looks like the hard way of doing it. Because you want to, you should really be running what the factory team runs. And uh, they haven't. And that's another unpredictable aspect of this year. And I mean, the, the Eugene's team weren't sure what they were going to use, 100% even when they were in Portimao for the final European test. Yeah, we saw a bike with all in front and, and, and it a, was very, a very strange. shock. It was very, very strange to see that they, they, they didn't know in the last test before Europe and a brand new bike. I mean, it's been a great off-season. If the, if the season's as good as this off-season, 
it's going to be awesome. It really is, because this has been part of the reason I went to all those tests, which as a freelancer you don't really make any money on, you maybe even lose money on them, um, was just because I thought, I don't want to miss anything, because it's going to change. The last one changed a lot. This test to that test changed, so I thought, well, I better go to the last two as well. And look at what's happened. It's changed again here. And I think with this many new bikes and, and swap riders, there's more swap riders than moving riders this year than I think for a while. Just anecdotally, I think that's the case. And that can only be a good thing. It can only be a good thing. All, any, all change is good in the line-up of racing. All change is good. I mean, what would we have given to see Mick doing jump out of Yamaha and see what he's doing? Never happened. Won five World Championships. I'm sure Mick's losing no sleep over not riding a Yamaha, but everybody outside would have loved to have seen it. And this year, we've just people have scattered to different teams. People have left or come back again. Riders are moving up from from Super Sport. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic here in Phillip Island, and good to have you on the show as well, Gordon. And uh, through the course of the season, we'll try and find a time to be able to get these done. Probably on the Saturday at racetracks, just because of deadlines for you. But uh, here in Phillip Island, there was nice opportunity to come down get a cup of coffee here in the morning we had a chance to chat to quite a few of the fans as well down here they're just still making their way back home and uh, definitely it's uh, all setting up to be a really good championship and for all the listeners on the paddock pass podcast if you want to support the podcast you can go to patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast and on the patreon page we'll be trying to include some interviews from the world SBK riders we'll have interviews from MotoGP riders as well through the course of the season with David and Neil and David and Neil will focus mostly on MotoGP with uh, me making the occasional appearance on the MotoGP side but the main objective for bringing Gordo into the show this year is just to give us a much fuller picture of the world SBK paddock so thanks for joining us Gordo absolute pleasure enjoyed it and thanks, thanks for the coffee um, I'll, uh, we'll see if I pay for the coffee oh, okay. so, thanks for listening and until the next time thanks for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast